had such a Sunday last week, didn't we? Woo! I'm still feeling exhausted, <laughs> but exhilarated by all that God did for us last week. We took time just to remember and reflect and rejoice over 15 years of miracle after miracle after miracle. And now we're going to be moving into a spirit-empowered future that God has for us as a church. Crossroads is unique. Now, I know Pastor Andy loves to say best church in the universe. Sometimes we'll say best church on the South Shore. But we are a unique animal. I don't know if we should call it an animal, but we're a unique church. And um, there are so many just very unique things that God has raised up that makes Crossroads who we are. And that's exciting. And we've got a future to embrace in all of that. There are many churches around us that are doing great things. And I have no problem saying that. I love to hear what God is doing through our Baptist friends and through our ethnic churches and through the Nazarene church and some of our Presbyterian churches. I love when I hear some of the independent churches. I love when I hear about the things that are happening through other churches. We're never to feel jealous or competitive, but we're to say, thank God he's at work and he's on the move in, in our area through so, so many wonderful churches. But God has called us to be the church that we are. And he has called us to be alive with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's our whole focus this year is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to tell you, I really messed it up last week because the whole back of our bulletin was blank. I don't know what I was thinking because I said later, I have a record of all 15 years and the themes that we've had for every year. And I was sorry that I didn't think about it in time to put that on the back of the bulletin. That would have been a wonderful addition to the memories that we were focusing on last week. The news tells us that the church is dead and that Christians are bigots and narrow-minded and racist. But I want to remind us this morning that Christianity is growing around the world. It's not what you're going to hear uh, in the news in America. It's not what you're going to hear on the front page, see, read on the front page of the papers or whatever. But the church is alive and growing and we don't have to apologize for being part of the church or a church. We can stand with, with uh, straight backs and say, the church is alive. Maybe that church is dead, and there are some that are. But I can tell you that there are many churches today that are alive with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate that. I, I want to remind you that the greatest disaster relief programs and feeding programs, the greatest addiction recovery programs, orphanages, elementary, uh, high schools, and colleges that are producing students of excellence are all run by Christians. Water wells are being dug around the world in drought-stricken areas that are bringing 
fresh, clean water to people who have never had it, and allowing food, crops to be grown to feed people. Women and children are being rescued from brothels in India, and those programs are being run by Christians. They're being taught skills that enable them to sustain themselves, all by Christians. When we talk about human trafficking and abortion mills, they are being challenged by Christians. Let's not forget the work that's being done through the church today. It's enormous. Millions are being fed and being clothed because of the church today. It's a great untold story, and you and I are a part of it. From the very beginnings of our times, we dedicated ourselves to be a worshiping community that was rooted in prayer, rooted in God's word, and obedient to the vision that he gave us. You heard some of that last week. If you weren't able to be here last week, I am so sorry because you missed an incredible day and such an exciting moment in our history but hopefully you'll glean bits and pieces as we go through the year. The first check that was ever written out of our checkbook, number one, number 101, I don't know which one it was, but the first check was for be benevolence to help one of our families that had no oil in their tank and no food in their refrigerator. That was the very first check written out. It wasn't a salary check. It wasn't a rent check. It was a benevolence check check. I think that speaks volumes to the heart of Crossroads Worship Center. From the very beginning, we have supported missionaries and mission endeavors around the world. And I, I shared last week that we were amazed when we discovered in our second year that we were the highest giving church in our category in the Southern New England District of the Assemblies of God. We were blown away. We'll never forget that. Pastor Annie and I still get Goosebumps when we talk about that occasion when we realize we're not that big a church, but we're the number one giving church to missions. That's awesome. Celebrate. Everybody should be on their, knee, uh, on their feet going, yay, that's what we did. You did that. Thank you. One teenager back there got the spirit. <laughs> that's what I love. I love that. We have never done things to win awards or see our pictures in print. We have just tried to be faithful to the vision that God has given to us and do what we need to do, what we are called to do without fanfare. And so sometimes, and I'll say this, we d people don't know all that we do because we don't go around necessarily talking about it or even bragging about it. But there are enormous things that we're a part of. You see, we're determined to be a church that loves God, loves people, and is obedient to the things that we feel God is calling us to be a part of. Jesus is the head of Crossroads Worship Center. Yes, I'm the lead pastor, but he is the head. I'm under him. I am submissive to him, and he is the one who is leading this church. It's not my church in the way I'm speaking of ownership as grasping, but it's his church to which we are thrilled to be a part of what he is doing. We are determined to be a reflection 
of the character of Christ and a welcoming community for all faiths, all nations, all cultures, all peoples, whether rich or poor, all people. I'm, I'm being surrounded kind of lately, and we're hearing all kinds of words about um, racial reconciliation. That's, the, that's kind of the buzzword right now, racial reconciliation. And this is what really hit me. We've got to be careful we don't buy into the language of the world. You see, we are called to be a people of reconciliation, reconciling man to God. That's our mandate. And that's the only hope and the only answer to any division anywhere. And so I am determined as your pastor to continue to lead us in that place where reconciliation is our, our primary goal. That comes from reconciling people to God through our proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus alone that we find our salvation. It's through Jesus alone that we find healing. Through Jesus alone we find deliverance. And we will continue to proclaim that gospel. As I said last week, and I'm going to give you a few more things. See, I didn't get to preach last week. So I'm going to do a little bit of what probably I would have preached last week, but it's kind of the state of the church a little bit this week. I've been doing research into our records, as you know. And um, I got to thinking, have you ever noted, noticed how God records the numbers? In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. There you go. I'm in good company. The Old Testament is full of records that involve numbers. It records the number of soldiers that were part of armies that went out to do battle. It records the number of livestock that people owned. He's writing down your stock portfolio. <laughs> the weight and the worth of precious jewels and metals and objects. Did you remember that God gave a detailed, ordered record of how he wanted the tabernacle to be built? including the length, the width, the height, the weight, and even a detailed plan concerning how to sew the priestly garments. God's interested in the details. He's interested in numbers. He's interested in these things. And then notice that the gospel carefully gives details. Remember the, five, the feeding of the 5,000, and it was men only, 5,000 men. That probably means... There were probably 20,000, maybe, because you have women that would there be there, children that would be there to enjoy a picnic. The Bible records 5,000 men. And then sitting in groups of 50 and being fed 12. Then we read about how 12 were sent out, and then Jesus sent out 72. And we have these details that the Bible records. Numbers and details. Look at the book of Acts. From the beginning of the early church, God recorded the numbers. I love this. Acts 1.15. About 120 gathered to pray. See, we make 120 the fixed number, but it's not ever. It says about 120. Acts 2.41. About 300 were born again on the day of Pentecost, received water baptism, and also the Holy Spirit baptism. I think we need to set up that water, that tank right here, 
And let it be here every Sunday. No, don't get, no. They're already passing out. Okay. Then in Acts 2.47, it says that, that God added to the church daily the number, and then Acts 4.4, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. There again, it lists just the men who were counted, but that would have included also family units, as was recorded of Cornelius. Then in Acts 4.34, it says the believers bought and sold land and houses for the sake of those who were in need. Over and over and over again, you see precise details and numbers involved. God cares about the details if we use those details to fulfill his purposes. We're not recounting details just to give ourselves a pat on the back and say, what have we done? But we're recording details and numbers to say, this is what we've, this is what we've done, but this is where we need to go. And this is what we're going to believe God for. As I'm looking over the record of our own history, I love, love reading about how our church has grown from an average of 62 at the end of the first year to the end of this year, an average of 277. I love that. Clap. Some of you look, at, you look around, you go, where are all those people? Well, you're only in one service, okay? And then this past Easter, we hit 445 on Easter Sunday. So where are all those people? And then this past Sunday, this past week, we hit almost 400 in here in one service. Now that includes children and everybody. Those are significant milestones. Those are, those are not numbers. I, I love it because sometimes we have a tendency, you know, we're in this little small church. No, we're not in a little small church. <laughs> God has given us growth and has, and has honored us and, and uh, trusted us with a growing congregation, and we see the proof of that. And then I celebrate our inherent record. And uh, an adherent is one who claims crossroads as their church, even if they never attend. Now, that part bothers me. But these are the kind of people that if they're in trouble, we get the phone call. If they're in the hospital, can you come and visit? If they die, we're going to do their funeral. If their kid wants to get married, oh, can, you, can we have a wedding? We have all kinds of people like that who really do consider crossroads their church. But you probably will never or rarely see them. Now, I won't even go on that one because it's like all that they're missing, all that they are not getting as not being a part of the church. But we love our adherents, and we want to minister to them as best we can. Our adherent base went from 86 in the first year to this year. You want to hear this one? Six. Hundred and three. And that's how many we have on our that's our whole list. Six hundred and three people. That's a lot of people. Say, well, they're not here? Nope. And they're not putting their money in the offering basket? Nope, they're not. But they consider us their church. And so we embrace them and love them. This is miraculous in fifteen years. And so that and then the one thing, and I mentioned it last week, but I'm gonna say it again. In four years' time, we went from being a, uh, a, a predominantly white suburban church to what we call a Z category. We're a Z church. 
Now, that doesn't mean Z's, you're asleep. <laughs> but it's the Assemblies of God designation, meaning there's no one uh, ethnic group that's predominant. We are truly an international church. And so I laugh because uh, some time to time I'm with people who think they're an international church, and I'll say, well, what's your racial breakdown? Well, it's a joke. You know, we've got one or two that would be not who we are, but that makes us an international church. I don't think so, no. If I go to a restaurant and they only have on their menu one dish that is one taco, that doesn't make them a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Trust me. It's all in the records. It's all in the detail. And an anniversary demands that we take time to do these things. And so it is that, um, but we have come to the place where our balloons are down <laughs> a little bit lower. But I love this image because we are literally embracing the world. It's not something that's just up there somewhere without reality. But we are embracing the world today as the church of Jesus Christ. So what now? What about the future? And here's that beautiful scripture that Giflin quoted this morning. I was so excited. Did you hear me talking out loud to you? You didn't? I'm yelling. That's my scripture. That's my scripture. I'm disturbing the, the worship team. Jeremiah 29, 11. Re and if you know it, recite it. For I know the plans I have for the you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. You see, when we're moving as a spirit-empowered church, we have a future. Turn to your neighbor and say, we've got a future. We have a future, and the future belongs to him. But it's wonderfully unfolded, unfolded day by day as we put our confidence and our trust in his leading. He is leading us. And he knows what our future is, and it is good. I, I really go crazy when I hear Christian people go, oh, I'm so worried about the future. Oh, it's getting worse and worse. Garbage and baloney, stop that world language. We have a future, and it's good, and it's with a hope. When we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live thinking the future's going to be terrible. See, that's the enemy trying to fill us with fear, and you and I have to fight that. We have to be totally dependent upon God. No option. No second plan, no backup plan, nothing except total dependency upon God. That's not easy because we want to figure it out. We want to have a backup plan. Well, if this doesn't work, I got this. Well, if that doesn't come to pass, well, I can do this. But when we're following God, we have to follow him completely. Say, there's no backup plan. I'm following him. And we must be, continue to be a Holy Spirit-empowered church. Now, this is not a message you're necessarily going to hear on a television program or going to a, 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 
a razzle-dazzle service someplace where it's smoke and mirrors. But this is a serious proclamation. You and I are called to be a Holy Spirit-empowered church. And you're not going to be Holy Spirit-empowered for a quick five minutes on a Sunday morning. There's going to be a cost that's going to be associated with that kind of a description. You, we were birthed in the fire of God's vision for the lost in Weymouth and the lost on the South Shore. That's weighing heavy on me. Have we lost our burden for the lost? Or have we still maintained a passion for finding and sharing the story of finding those who have not yet heard the story of Jesus Christ? You've seen the miracles of provision, and you heard some of those stories last week, and open doors that have come our way through the work of the Holy Spirit. But we have to keep moving and advancing and taking new territory. We cannot rest on what has been, but we have to be impelled, compelled by what the future holds for us. Tonight, we're going to come together for the Super Bowl. Everyone's talking about the Rams and the Patriots. Who's going to win? Will Tom Brady make this his last game? Will Gronkowski retire? I hear bits and pieces um, of the sports commentators. And truthfully, I just laugh. I'm thinking, they're just talking. It's all talk without any facts, without anything to back up uh, what they're what they're saying is going to happen. So, and I'm bringing the Super Bowl up because I want to ask us this question. Now, I'm not a rabid sports fan. I never watch a football game till it gets right down to the last few games. Then I get, then I become a sports fan. I come in to watch the sports, the uh, the game, and Frank walks out. <laughs> Go figure. That's true, isn't it? Oh, his heart, he can't handle it. He's out of there. And I'm screaming and yelling. I haven't a clue what they're doing. I'm just watching the score. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I've got my Patriots shirt. I'm going to have it on. But, um, but I want to ask us this question. Are we more excited about the Super Bowl and its outcome than being excited about what God is doing and what he's all about? Are we more excited? Are we more excited about coming together to watch a game than coming together to worship? The church is not dead. It's not powerless. The Holy Spirit has not taken a vacation, even though it's February. He's not abandoned us. This is real news. It's possible to be moving in the power of the Spirit without being weird or wacky. So none of the, knock it off. God wants us to be so moving in the power of the Spirit that we are changing and altering wherever we are, but not because we're so weird and wacky people are noticing us. That's not what it's about. But I would say that you and I can move in a way that's attractive. That's like a sweet fragrance that draws people to the things of God. God works through every single person who is committed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and is obedient to his word. He works through common, ordinary 
people just like me, just like you. Who are we? Are we anybody special? Are any of us famous and rich? Do any of us have a pedigree that would put us in a line with kings? Not that I'm aware of. But I am reminded that it was said of the disciples that it was noted that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Common, ordinary people. So I'm going to talk to three groups of people this morning. Are you ready? Pull your toes in because they might get stomped. Okay, three groups. First of all, I'm going to speak to those that are 30 to 55. Do you dare raise your hand? No, you don't have to. I'm not going to even ask. I'm not even going to ask you to do that. 30 to 56. First of all, I want to talk to you because basically you're in that category where you're coming into or you're in the prime of your life. And the question is, what are you doing? What are you doing? Is that prospect of moving up and exceeding and excelling, getting a, just driving you and consuming you, acquiring things? Are you loaded down with family responsibilities? If you have children, how much time are you taking to sow into their lives rather than sow into a career? or so into acquiring possessions. For you, this is the verse that I want to give you this morning. Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? (laughs) So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And you're in a season of life where oftentimes you're overwhelmed and consumed with getting ahead and and doing all the things that you feel need to be done to make your life successful. Be very careful that you don't lose the ultimate treasure. Seek first the kingdom of God. I believe with all my heart that there are many of you that are so busy running after life and this world and 
advancement and all of those things, and it never seems to come together. But it's interesting how Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And I have seen this lived out, not only in my own life, but in other people's lives too. That for some reason, when they devote themselves to God's kingdom and his righteousness, everything just seems to come together. It doesn't mean you're without trouble. Remember, Jesus said that don't worry about the next day. It has enough trouble of its own. But I'm telling you that some of you need to learn this truth and this secret. Teens and young adults. How many teens and young adults do we have here this morning? Yeah, we have a few. I want to speak to you this morning. You're an amazing group of young people. These are not easy times to be living in, but I want to tell you that no time has ever been fully easy. Each generation must face and much embrace the times that God has placed you in. You're not living right now accidentally, but you are living because God has allowed you to be born and to live in these times. I love to see your concern about the environment. I love to see your concern about social justice issues. But I believe that your number one challenge today is to be seekers of the truth. Every day you are bombarded with lies and with fake news. History is being rewritten by those who would like to see God abolished and the role of religion and church wiped out. When you hear things like this, quote, more people have been killed by the church and religious people than any other group in history, do you just swallow that as fact? Or do you take the time to research it and realize that is a bald-faced lie? You are living in a time right now when shouting is valued over reasoned discourse. Danger is attached to people who think differently than you. Babies are being killed for convenience. Children are being sexually exploited through pornography and sex trafficking. And the sickening fact is that America is the largest distributor of pornography in the world. What will you do about this? It's a sad situation that other generations, including mine, are leaving you with enormous issues and messes to be cleaned up. It's interesting that if I this morning took a puppy, a little puppy dog, and killed that puppy, I would be brought to trial and probably spend time in prison. But if I kill my baby in my womb, I will be celebrated. What have we done? You and I are in critical condition and trouble, and God will not and cannot be mocked by this kind of behavior. I don't know about you, but I am so heartsick about what happened in the state of New York this week, and now Virginia. My God, what can I do? What can we do as your people? Do we just sit idly by and say there's nothing we can do? Or we come together and rise up and say, this is 
evil and we will stand against it. In the Old Testament, we read about children that were sacrificed to the idol god Baal. And we are horrified when we read that. How could Israelites, the people of God, sacrifice their children into the arms of, a, of an idol that was filled with fire, blistering hot, and then yelled, ch chanting, and all kinds of things to drown out the cries of the babies and the children that were put in the arms of this idol? But today in America, we're doing the same thing. I ask you, young people, teens and young adults, to stand against the lies and the evil being spread against across this nation. This is not human rights. This is a murder in the first degree. I'm going to give you four things to stand against, but then I'm going to tell you what to stand for. Stand against the pot industry. It is not okay. I'm horrified by Christians that are standing up and, oh, it's okay because it's legal or because the word medical is attached to it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not okay. This is a moral issue, another opportunity to enslave people through addiction. Maybe someday our middle daughter will come and give her testimony here. She'll tell you about pot and its addiction. Stand against the abortion industry. It's not okay. It's not about a woman's right to choose because it's her body. It's, a get, it's, a, it's about life and how all life is sacred in the eyes of God. It's interesting that even in the Bible it says, before you were even conceived in your mother's womb, God knew you. Stand against those who would enslave your minds through lies. It's not okay. It's a downward slide, what we're seeing today, into isms of every kind. Socialism, communism, fascism has never produced strong nations and a free people. It's only bankrupted the economy and enslaved people. Isms are not okay. Young people, know your history. Know your history. Be a reader and a researcher into these things. When isms come into power, <clears throat> then freedoms are sucked up and gone. When isms come into power, it has to have an enemy, and Christianity becomes the enemy. Jews become the enemy. People of faith become the enemy people of strong moral values who are willing to speak out become the enemy. And so I encourage you, young people, get out of your games. Get out of your games and begin to live in the reality of what's happening in our world today. Freedom is being robbed from us. Fight for it. Otherwise, you may see doors of a church locked turned into other buildings. Stand for righteousness and truth. Stand for it. Don't be afraid. Truth has become a dirty word as if you cannot know the truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except me. That's truth. If you stand for Jesus, you'll be shouted down. 
If you stand for Jesus, you may be cursed and lied about, and you may even suffer in your job or in your educational pursuits. I can tell you stories today of people who have told me of working on their doctorate in some of our highest institutions, and their stand for Christ has cost them, but they're willing to stand for Jesus. He willingly died for, you, for us. And you may be challenged to die by standing for truth. John 8, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you'll be my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. Be pursuers of truth. Truth is found in God's word. Truth is lived out in the lives of those who would stand for truth. I think of this from John chapter 17, where Jesus is going to the cross and he's praying to the Father. He says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy within you. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Get Young people, get into the word. Young adults, get into the word. Know the word. It is truth. Live a life of purpose and passion for God. Your life matters. All lives matter. We're not just singling out a group of people and saying their lives matter. In God's economy, all lives matter. Go for it. Get involved. Make a difference. Step up and offer yourselves fully for God's purposes. God needs you. Crossroads needs you. We need you. The world needs you. And I want to say thank you for those that are already involved. I started listing names. And then I got afraid that I would leave someone out, so I just scrubbed that. But you know yourself which of you are standing up and saying, I'll be involved. Now, last but not least, I want to talk to those of us who are 55 and above. I save the best to last. 55 and above seems like a big, wide age range. But my doctor friend tells me the new understanding of old or older has dropped by 10 years. And it's dropping. I love that. 75 is now the former 65. This is a doctor. Would he lie? People are living longer today. I read the obituaries almost every day. I don't get the Sunday paper, so I can't read Sunday, but I make up for it on Monday. I'm an obituary reader. That's, I could do a whole sermon on obituaries that I have read. Maybe I'll do that one day. But I, I find it's not unusual to see people living well up into their 90s, and I'm seeing more and more people that are over 100. Isn't that awesome? I love it. Boy, I do love it. But it's important that we live our years well, number one, I encourage us, check your minds and your thoughts. You say, I don't know if I have a mind anymore. I can't remember. But 
Be careful not to get negative. Negativity drives me crazy. I'm going to be honest with you. If people come, I, I, pe- when I'm around negative people on a on a, a long a long period of time, it just drains the life out of me. I could take to my bed and throw the covers up over my head. Negative negativity not only kills the person who's being negative, but the people who are around them. Be careful not to get negative. I see so many older people being negative. They've got something to complain about on every every turn. The glass is not always half empty. See the glass as half full. And then give the younger generation a chance. Forget about the ripped jeans and the ones that wear the hats in the sanctuary. It drives me crazy too. But in the light of eternity is not worth much of anything. You and, I, you and I may not like it, but we've raised them on their rights and their choice and do what makes you feel comfortable and safe. So we've got it. Let them think that they know it all. Because in truth, you and I thought the same thing when we were at their stage of life. Age has a way of humbling all of us. And the older you get, the more you realize you don't know much of anything. (laughs) Frank had an uncle. I will not call him by name, but Frank knows his name. And and his favorite words I can still hear him saying is, he'd be be talking to Frank, he'd go, you don't know nothing. (laughs) In his brusque Polish way, you don't know nothing. If I heard him say that once, I heard him say that multiple times every day. Ah, you know nothing. What a sad way to live. And what an encouragement it was to Frank. The sad thing is, he was so, not he, not Frank, but the uncle was so ignorant and non-teachable. He knew nothing. And when he died, he died an an unhappy old man. I'm not aware that he died in the Lord. I pray that the grace of God enabled him to cry out. I don't know that. Only God knows. And then think the best and not the worst. Take young people under your wing. How many of you that are in that older category have young people that you can say, they're my friend. I'm friends with them. Ask them about their dreams and their ambitions. Encourage them. Slip them a buck or two. Today is a five or a ten. <laughs> you, got, you guys can pay me later. Tell them your story and encourage them by what you've learned over the years. Their story is going to be different. And remember, you and I are not always going to be here. What legacy do we want to leave? when we're no longer here. How will they remember us? We really miss Dick Alley. And others that, I think of Pat Carruth, we miss those that have gone on. You see, with Dick, no one has fully taken his fix-it place. I just heard the other day something I never knew. Nancy told me that periodically Dick would come in and he would check the vacuum cleaners. And then... He would take them and repair them, putting new belts and everything on them. 
without being asked. I never knew that till just recently, but that was Dick. When our chairs loosened up, he would come in and he would tighten them all up. There are others that are presently some of our fix-it people, but we're concerned because we're not seeing another generation coming up into that position. Crossroads, our best days are ahead of us. I truly believe it. But we're going to have to stay focused in prayer and the word. I've been soaking and saturating just in the beginning parts of the book of Acts. And I think I'm going to just take some of my sermon material from the book of Acts in the next number of weeks. So rich. Every time I read it, I am again reminded of how powerful that early church was and how that's a pattern for who we're supposed to be today. If you'll notice in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to prayer and the word. Let's continue to do that. And then present among them was signs, wonders, and miracles. And I believe, especially in where we are now, we need to be praying for release of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When was the last time we had a message in tongues and interpretation? When was the last time people laid hands on the sick and they were healed? When was the last time that somebody said, I have a word of knowledge, word of wisdom? When was the last time we've had that? We need to pray for the release. When was the last time we had a prophetic word spoken? We need a release of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our, in our church. And then challenge to live a life of generosity. A life, it's a lifestyle of generosity. In the early church, it says there was no one in need in the early church. Do you remember that? The, there was no need. And I thought about that because people did not consider their possessions their own. It all belonged to him. Some of you would not even consider letting somebody borrow your car. No, that's my car. They might sneeze in here. Well, yeah, they might throw up in there. I don't know. But you know something? It all belongs to God if you have a biblical, if you have a truth mindset. It's not yours. It's not mine. Your home is given to you just to steward it for his purposes. Whatever you have, there was no need the big social service and agency in the whole world, the church. Oh, I better stop there. That's another message. I could get going on that one. I better go, keep going and finish with this. And then I see the record in the early church is continued growth. I'm concerned about our statistics that tell us how many people are coming to faith in Christ, but then a big drop off in how many are being water baptized. And then a huge precipitous drop-off in how many are being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear a lot about that this year. It should not be this drop-off. It should be you come to faith in Christ, you're water baptized, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern of the early church. And it needs to be our pattern too. Well, I'm going to close with these words. John, President John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address said these immortal words, ask not what your country can do for you, 
but rather ask, what can you do for your country? And I'm changing that. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. The church of Jesus Christ. The church that is strong and alive. The church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done, but we cannot camp there. We're looking to the future, Lord. And we're looking to the future with hope and with an understanding that is your desire to bless those who bless you and bless those who commit themselves to follow you. Lord, help us. Help us in the weak places to become strong. Help us, O oh God, to enlarge our vision. Help us, O oh God, to take on a biblical mindset and a way of living. Oh God, help us, we pray. Amen. And now may the grace of our Heavenly Father and the wonderful love of Jesus Christ, the Son, and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit bless us and keep us and empower us to be all that you have called us to be. And we ask this in your name. Amen.